One is a classic compilation of cutesy cartoons. The other is a comfortable continuation. Winnie the Pooh, they remade it. Hi, and welcome back to They Remade It. I'm your host of Very Little Brain, Stuart. And I am J-A-C-O-O-B. That spells Jacob, I think. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't, don't think too much into it. And this week, as the title suggests, we're covering Disney's Winnie the Pooh. Hooray! Uh, and the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. They're both, Winnie, they're both Winnie the Pooh when you get right down to it. Yeah, like we can call it the many adventures all we want, but it, like everyone's going to call it by Winnie the Pooh. I'll call it Pooh's, Pooh's Big Day, the blustery adventure, Tigger movie. I don't really care. Yeah. Call it whatever like I Tigger want. Mo- Tigger movie was a different one entirely. Yeah. <laughs> We're which, not talking about that one. Which technically, I guess we could lump that in with this one, but it's more a sequel to like the 90s show or something. I do you know. do you want to do all of the Pooh movies? You want to do Piglet's Big Movie? You want to do the Heffalump movie? Do we want to do the one, like the three shorts from USSR, Russia? <laughs> no, no, preferably not. All right. I try to stay away from Soviet cartoons. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Dirty Soviets taking all, taking all our winnies. <laughs> Russia's favorite cat and mouse duo, Worker and Parasite. So <laughs> continue. Uh, so continue. Uh, so continue Bolshe- <laughs> what? Both Bolshevik and Czarist. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, piggybacking off of that, uh, because I know that you've been looking into some Soviet cartoons lately. What have you been watching recently? <laughs> uh. Uh, I've been watching a couple. I've seen like a couple random things I would just find online that I just decided, eh, screw it, I'll just watch it. Um, I ended up renting Rampage, that Dwayne Johnson Whoa. movie that came out not too long ago, yeah. based off the arcade game. Based off, yeah, yeah. I my yeah, dad like, rented that. I didn't watch it though. Like you'd think from like the previews and everything, and just from the idea of it, it would be pretty fucking stupid. I watched it. It was actually kind of awesome. Like. It's totally new what it was, but it's like, you know, it's a ridiculous monster movie and that sort of thing. But it just goes, it does not let up for it. it. Like, it takes out all the stops for it. Like, this is probably one of the most violent movies I've seen. Like, there's a, the first scene of it takes place on, like, this space station research lab. And it shows, like, this test rat that's gotten, like, injected with this, like, super, like, animal creature mutation thing and like it's gone rogue and it's been eating all the people on the ship and so you see like like dismembered body parts and like corpses with their eyes chewed out and everything and this is like a pg-13 movie and it's gory as hell it's like (laughs) like it's obviously not like over the top gory to need a r rating but still it's like it goes through all of that it doesn't hold back on like you know civilians getting killed like giant destruction moments like super crazy moments and over the top lines are just kind of awesome and also the effects are actually really really good like with the destruction so i had a i had a blast watching it i really did not expect it all right maybe maybe i'll look into it i have one thing though you mentioned the rat yeah uh, getting so i guess it's animals that get experimented on and then turn into these beasts and not humans yeah it does omit that it's just okay that's um, already a minus one point for me (laughs) yeah yeah, no, it's not like, um, 
you know, like the scum soda thing from the original one where, like, they drank it and then, yeah. like, humans drank it and then they became animal creatures. Now, it's specifically animal creatures that get, like, a bunch of random mutations. Like, it's a plot point in it. It's, like, each muted mutagen mutates each animal a little differently. Right. And so it's, like, you know, there's just one of them is just, like, a really big gorilla, but another one's a crocodile that has, like, huge horns and everything. It's, like, crazy. Yeah, which is which is sort of, I, that's sort of stock, I guess, for a movie plot, like, mu- just normal mutated animals. But it's a lot easier right. for an audience to grasp onto that than humans drinking soda that mutates them into giant animals. Like, I don't right. feel like people would be too keen to go see that movie, even if they were familiar with the game. Yeah, and, like, and... It, with this one, it kind of just perfectly straddled the line to being too ridiculous that it wouldn't even be fun. Like, in this one, it did have, like, the slight, like, not believability, but grounding that kind of made it all, like, the action feel a bit cooler. Rather than just being ridiculous shit, that just made it seem like, you know, Mars Attacks. Right. Well, I like yeah. Mars Attacks. I, it depends, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, that's, that's the main one I watched. I saw, like, I've seen like clips of movies and stuff. Like I've basically essentially watched all of infinity war. Finally, just through clips online alone. I was like, all right, that's good enough. I've already gotten all the spoilers already. So screw it. You went onto the movie, uh, the movie clips, YouTube page and just watched all eight that they had for that movie. Um, uh, like among, you know, among you know, like a, a f- there was a few clips channels that I flipped between. I was like, all right, this one has some, this one has some good enough. I've seen the whole movie. I get it now. Yeah, I get the gist of it. I can just wa- I can just read the wiki plot for the details. All right. Yeah, that's pretty much been my experience. And then, well, actually, I also saw Christopher Robin, which relates back to this, but I'll talk about that more later. Right. We'll 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 do. I also saw Christopher Robin, so we'll do a brief, a really brief discussion of it uh, right before the synopses start. But I'm gonna go through the other things that I saw as well before we w- do that. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd love to see what you've seen, whatever right. crazy thing it's this time. And I actually, I actually have seen quite a few things, so I'm, I'm gonna keep discussions brief on it, or else we'll be here forever. Um, That's fair. Okay, so I marathon the entire series of uh, Neuro, Neuro Supernatural Detective, which is an anime. Uh, it's only about twenty five or twenty six episodes. Uh, I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, the way they handled it, it's it's one of those shows that has a story that's sort of in the background, and near the end of the series, they go into it to try and tie tie up all the loose ends. Mm-hmm. But the main premise of the show is a demon likes to eat mysteries, and he ate all the mysteries in hell, so he comes to Earth to eat more, and st- <laughs> he starts up. A uh. t- <laughs> he starts up. Hold on. He, he starts up a detective agency uh, using this high school girl as, like, the lead detective, sort of as a front. Uh, so that of, he, Because, of course. Of course. But he sort of uses that as a front so that he can get away with doing this without alerting everyone that he's a demon. But they frame it really well because it is sort of a... It, it's sort of a, uh, a case of the week type of show where yeah. you don't really know that there's a story in the background that they're trying that they're leading up to because it's just it's it's very episodic. It's like, "Oh, well there's a mystery here that needs to be solved and you see the process of it." It's like a detective show. And uh it, so it was, was like the first two seasons of Steven Universe. Right. Before it just got a little bit too into its own background story. Right, sort of sort of, yeah, but since it didn't 
yeah, since it was never sort of framed in that light, it didn't feel like filler. It felt like, well, this is the show, is them going around solving mysteries. It's it's like NCIS, but I enjoy it. Um, uh, I got caught up on the new DuckTales. I won't go too much into that. One, for spoiler reasons, and two, because I've talked about the reboot on this show before, I believe. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, yeah, very yeah, yeah. Briefly. fair enough. Yeah, but I got caught up on that. Uh, I watched Dirty Work. Uh, comedy from 1998 with Norm Macdonald and Artie Lang. Um, Fun. You would think. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well. Not not too terribly funny. I like Norm Macdonald as a comedian, but him as a leading man doesn't make much sense to me because he's that, he is such a, I don't know if you've ever seen him do stand-up or seen him in interviews, but his comedy is just the very dry I'm sort of I'm sort of speaking now. You expect me to say one thing, and I'm saying another thing. Get it? And and when he does it, it's funny, but it doesn't really work. In yeah, the that movie. doesn't. You can't really carry a movie with that kind of bit. Like I like dry humor, but only for stand up. When you do it in the movie, it's like this is just well, it's dry. Right. Like there's a scene where his ex his girlfriend becomes his ex girlfriend or fiance or whatever. I think it's girlfriend at the very beginning of the movie is throwing his stuff out of the apartment, which is already pretty stock cliche, but people are, he notices people are running away wearing his clothes uh, (laughs) because they're picking it up off the street. And he sees a guy in his jacket and he looks, he looks, he turns toward the camera to look at the guy running away. He goes, Hey, that's my jacket. And there's like barely any facial expression. And it, that's how, that's how Norm Macdonald is. But in a in the movie, it just doesn't work. It's so like Ray Romano, kind of, yeah. So that was yeah. not very funny. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, I watched the new Jumanji. Welcome to the jungle. Uh, how, how was that? I've always heard. I've heard a lot of good things about that. Did not like the. Uh, I didn't like the end cap segments. I didn't like the start or the end because it's, it's just so cliche with teenage, whatever angst and drama and. Well, right, yeah. Guy try guy is nerdy, and the girl in gym who's like, I don't understand why we have to do physical education. It doesn't edify the soul or the mind. Like it's just these archetypes that we've seen before. However, right. however, even though I think those segment segments are bad, they make the middle so much better because the middle is all of these. Because basically, Jumanji is a video game in this one. It, yeah, it I, start, I remember that one. Yeah. So they get sucked into it, and they're now these characters, like the really nerdy guy is Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and the pretty girl is Jack Black. So it it actually works to that end, because they're these archetypes, but now they're these actors that are sort of the opposite of the archetypes, trying to act like the archetypes. I, the middle, the entire middle of the movie is actually very fun, and I like it a lot. I wish the, uh, I wish the high school segments that cap off the film were done better but i think right. maybe they had to be done that way to make the middle as good as it was i think that probably was the the idea of it like you know everyone knows their archetypes so well that it's fun to see them completely flipped on their head in a way we haven't really seen before right i, I was i was surprised i was surprised that i i actually did enjoy most of the movie yeah um and then sort of getting into the winnie the pooh side of things i caught a bit of Pooh Bear Fever because I I remembered how much I liked Winnie the Pooh so I went back and watched uh, the Search for Christopher Robin and the Tigger movie 
both of which were just side movies. I think one was direct to video and then the Tigger movie I believe was in theaters, but I owned both of them on VHS go- growing up and I I liked them. So I went back and I I rewatched them in lieu of watching these other Pooh movies and you know, I I like them. They're definitely weaker than these yeah. stories because they're trying to create their own they're trying to create their own stories, so even though they incorporate some of the personalities of the character, they're trying to write their own adventures that aren't in the original book, which doesn't doesn't inherently matter, but I think that's sort of where they had trouble just because it doesn't have the same it doesn't have the same feeling right as those. I, I mean, just... one they go into like a they go into like a crystal pal in the search for Christopher Robin, they go through scary woods and they go into a crystal palace at the end and it's really bizarre obviously at the end it's like oh they they travel back through it with christopher robin it's like well the fact that you were afraid like this is just a meadow and this is just a just a small boulder but it's still weird to see them doing that right yeah that that is a little weird yeah like that that always seems to kind of be the thing with newer versions of classics they always try to kind of reinvent the wheel with it right which is like nothing terribly wrong with that, but it kind of ends up losing a lot, mm-hmm. which you know I'll probably go into more later. Definitely, but uh, that leads me to the last thing I saw, which was Christopher Robin. We we both saw this in theaters, uh, albeit yes, different theaters, different locations, but we we both watched it. I I, I fucking loved it. <laughs> I did too. I really did. Like I I got a lot of mixed you know reactions from various people but i actually like this a whole lot like i got the whole thing it's like oh we've heard this story a million times before it's like you know you have to remember like we've seen a lot of movies and there's been a lot of movies like this in the past there's kind of a needs to be a new one for each new generation like we can't just keep relying on people to go back to the same old ones sometimes they don't age well right and not to not to mention sure that the type of story has been done before but it it holds more clout. There's more innocence in it because it is Winnie the Pooh, uh, right? And and anyone will tell you that if you look at online like official AFI and the IMDb polls of like cartoon characters, I don't mm. know exactly where they stand. But I I know that officially, more people love and cherish and recognize Winnie the Pooh than they do Mickey Mouse. I think Mickey Mouse ranked number two on Disney's most recognizable and beloved characters, and Pooh was number one. Yeah, like, it's always been interesting how universal that's been. It's like, I, I don't, I wonder what it is. I think it's just, like, the pure joy of it. Like, I think everybody's, like, you know, everyone loves a teddy bear, that kind of thing, versus Mickey Mouse has had such a weird omnipresence in, like, everything from you know childhood cartoons to kingdom hearts and so it kind of it kind of creates this weird image for the character versus Winnie the Pooh has just kind of always just been you know bear very little brain loving honey way too much and you know as a result every time one of his things comes out honey sales I'm sure spike (laughs) right that's that I actually like that you mentioned kingdom hearts too because that's like they update Mickey for that game. It's f- hilarious to see him in the game. Like, yeah. Well, that's the key to darkness. And then it cuts to him. And it's just short ass Mickey Mouse in a cloak talking about forces <laughs> of good Ma- and evil. But Kingdom Hearts is the stupidest thing in the world. I swear is, to God, it is remarkably stupid, and I still love it. 
<laughs> oh, I still um, love it. It's incredible, right. and I can't wait for the third one. Neither can if I. only because I cannot wait to hear like Mike Wazowski, you know, imitator do say all these various lines. It's like, wow, this is gonna be a shit show. <laughs> Zara, look out! It's Randall. <laughs> But um, Randall's teamed up with the Heartless. <laughs> oh God, it'll be <laughs> oh, Spider be Boy. Amazing. Oh yeah. But um, that being said, or where I was going with that sort of is Winnie the Pooh is also in Kingdom Hearts. But oh yeah, but, but he's old. But even in that, he's still just kind of like a small side thing. That's what I'm saying. They don't update it. like Mickey Mouse. They have to add him to this story of light, dark, whatever. But Winnie the Pooh, they don't do that. He exists in his own world. The Heartless can't even go there. Like, in the second yeah. one, they, like, rip up the book, but they don't enter the book. It's just, yeah, it's... they're they're <laughs> self-contained. They're so blissfully ignorant of everything around them, and that's sort of how Winnie the Pooh should be. Yeah, I know. I love it so much. And I love how it's, like, at the end of each of the chapters, when you found a new page, it was, like, a little reward. It's like, here, you've gone through all this, you know, hellish fighting. Now you get to have a Winnie the Pooh adventure. Hooray! You get to do a mini-game where you push him on a swing. I know, it's just, it's just the sweetest thing. I love it so much. And, and that really just, just kind of sums it up. Right, and that's why that's why it works so well in Christopher Robin. It doesn't mean that we've seen this story. It doesn't matter that we've seen this story before. Uh, he lost his way. He doesn't remember what it's like to be a child. No more innocence. The fact that Winnie the Pooh is there, it, it, it holds a lot more clout, like I was saying before, because Winnie the Pooh is like the embodiment of of childhood innocence. So it, it feels like even though it's come so much later than all these other movies that have done the same thing, it feels mm-hmm. like it is the, the pinnacle of them. I, I would be willing to say, even if it's not the best done one, it feels like it's the one that should be remembered, I suppose. Yeah. I, I really, do. yeah, I kind of, I gotta agree with it. It's just, it, it just kind of culminates in all these various elements with that. And plus it also, you know, it is does also turn into a little Winnie the Pooh adventure. It's not just a ham-handed, oh, he's not a child anymore. It's like, no, it ends up with his, like, this whole little smaller adventure, which I won't spoil, obviously. It's a very good film. Go see it. Right. And and you probably, you're probably going to know what scene I'm talking about. I'm not going to say it for slight spoilerish whatevers. Mm. But uh, there's a part kind of in the middle of the movie but sort of near the beginning where it's just Christopher Robin and Pooh walking and the dialogue exchange that's had there uh I didn't cry or tear up but you know whenever you're sort of upset at something and you get that weird pressure feeling in the back of your throat oh yeah near your sinuses like, like you're getting like, choked like, up right yeah that I guess that's what it is uh yeah I haven't felt that in a really long time but I actually got that during that scene because it made me really sad and I haven't oh, experienced yeah. something like that in a long time. Oh yeah, I was like I had like I had that a couple of times throughout this movie. Like at the very end and everything, it has very idealistic scenes, the yada yada yada. And it's just like it it hit something deep in my cold little heart at this point. I was like, Oh my god, my childhood Right. It it sort of had an ending that I like to describe. I like to describe those types of ending is endings as not what your brain wants, but what your heart wants. Yeah, exactly. Because there's so many instances where I'll watch a movie and it's like, I don't know, someone has cancer. And at the end of the movie, it's like, oh, she's all better somehow, miraculously. It's like, well, that's not really much of an ending. 
But sometimes... At the same time, we like a happy ending, goddammit. Right. And sometimes if a movie does it right, even if your brain's like, well, that's not logical, or I don't think they should have done that from a movie-telling standpoint. If it's done right, or if you are invested in the lore or the characters well enough, then I sort of write it off as an ending that your brain didn't want, but your heart did want, and I accept it as that anyways. Yeah. Because it makes yeah. me happy. I liked it a whole lot for that very reason. Me and too. it was good for my heart. Maybe I, not the greatest in I- exact filmmaking, but even then, it was actually very well made. Oh, yeah. Effects are great. The only thing that bothered me in the tra- it, not in the movie, but when I watched the trailer, was that Tigger looked so old. He looked like he was... He should right. have been I bouncing whole, with a cane. Like, I thought the idea of it was, like, they were meant to be, like, really old and faded, but no one else was. So I was like, huh, Tigger just, Tigger, Tigger just, you know, hasn't had a good time of it. <laughs> Did you notice that for all the characters, they went back to the designs they had in the book? Uh, yeah. Except for Tigger. They kept his jawline and everything, I guess, because Pooh was always, even when they updated Pooh for Disney, uh, he still sort of resembled that. They just gave him the red shirt. But Tigger, they did a complete overhaul at Disney. They they give him a very specific jawline that he has to have now. Right. So. Yeah, that was interesting. Yes, it was. Well, for the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh starting out, 1977, uh, this movie is essentially a collection of short stories, you know, taken from the two children's books that were penned by A.A. A. Milne, um, Winnie the Pooh and the House at Pooh Corner. So I'm not going to go into great detail about the movie because there's not much to go into detail about. The stories are, even though they connect a little bit and they thread together in the slightest of ways, they're so self-contained that there's not really much of a point. Um, but these stories uh, include Pooh, Disguising himself uh, as a rain cloud to obtain honey. Uh, Pooh getting stuck in Rabbit's doorway due to eating too much honey. Uh, him having a nightmare about Heffalumps and Woozles, uh, which are imaginary creatures that steal honey. Uh, kind of borrowing from, you know, Elephants on Parade on that one. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Or uh, or was you know, Elephants on Parade borrowing from it? I can't remember the, the continuity. Well, I... Yeah, I, I don't know about that. I wonder if the books came out before the Dumbo film did. Because Dumbo was like Disney's third or fourth feature, I believe. All uh, I know is that that seems to be a weird recurring theme in early Disney cartoons. Weird psychedelic dreams involving elephants. <laughs> right. But anywho, uh, uh, um, additionally, we also have the, the other characters in the film. Um... We're introduced to Tigger, who gets himself and Roo stuck in a tree, and whom Rabbit attempts to get lost in a forest, uh, for starters. Uh, near the end of the movie, I guess, is an extremely windy day, uh, which they call Wednesday, uh, which destroys Al's house. Uh, there's a great flood that nearly sucks up Pooh and Piglet. Um... I mean, those are those are sort of the beats of the story. Anything can happen in this world, and it's just characters reacting to it, like what they're given, the environments that they're in, the scenarios that they're in. How are they going to react? How do they talk to one another and come up with solutions to these problems that they're facing? Which I guess with? is, which I guess is kind of the point, being that you know, child's imaginary toys going through. It's like, oh, here's a random situation. Well, hey, <laughs> right. 
That's that's exactly what it is too. But like they really do play up the idea that this is a kid's imaginary, you know, day and what all goes through all his toys, minds, and everything. Right. What 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 do they do when he's not there? They're the stories right. that he's telling himself. But uh, throughout these many adventures, we meet a colorful cast of characters outside of Pooh, uh, Piglet, and Tigger, who have already been mentioned. Uh, these including Rabbit, Owl, Kangaroo, Eeyore, uh, Christopher Robin, and for a brief period of time, Gopher. Uh, the movie ends with a, a sort of party that's held for Pooh and Piglet, who uh, showed bravery during the flood and gave up his house to Owl, respectively. Gave up is a bit of a subjective term, but <laughs> well, he, he even though he was hesitant, he, he he just sort of did it, and then the movie ends. I mean, which is the same thing in the book. So it's like, okay, I guess Owl lives in Piglet's house now, and yeah, no just, one cares. That's the plot of so many of the stories: is Piglet being bullied into submission. <laughs> no one really cares for Piglet. Yeah, well, a they, little bit. <laughs> they like him, but like, who cares? That poor little, you know, overly polite little boy. <laughs> the Girl. I don't know. But the movie closes on a heartwarming scene between Pooh and uh, Christopher Robin, his best friend in the world, as they both pledge to be there for one another and to never forget each other as well. As, you know, Christopher's going off to school, which, you know, raises the question of, oh, which sequel do we take to account? Do we take Christopher Robin or the next Winnie the Pooh film? Because they both have different answers of what kind of school it is. Right. Moving on from there, as you said, the next Winnie the Pooh film. Winnie the Pooh, which came out in 2011. Uh, this movie is a lot more structured than the 1977 uh, Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh film. But it also pulls less from the original source material, opting instead to write its own story with the personalities of the original characters still intact. Um, there's really two stories that it takes for inspiration, uh, but one of them it stretches over the course of the whole film, and they they write their own they write their own plot to it because basically all they take from the story is Al misreading a piece of paper, and then they build it from there. Which like I feel like that almost comes up in a few stories even. Right there there are quite a few instances of characters not knowing how to read and. Or not knowing how to communicate with one another, and that's what leads to the rest of the story, or the rest of the adventure. Miscommunication. The cartoon. That's all it ever is. But the, yeah. mov the movie itself opens with Pooh hungering for honey, only to discover that he's fresh out. On his way to search for some, he proceeds to meet Eeyore, who, surprise surprise, has lost his tail... With a little help from Al and Christopher Robin, the denizens of the Hundred Acre Woods organize a contest to find the best replacement tail, with the reward being a pot of honey. They all try. Really, <laughs> Sorry? A really, really flasé contest, I might add. No real judging structure. They just immediately, like, every instance of a possible tail, they're just like, you win! Yeah, you win the honey! Hooray! Which happens, like, five times. Not to mention, that's that's such a weak prize. Like, Tigger doesn't even like honey, so he can't even participate. Yeah. They should have picked something that everyone could enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> How dare they not pick up on their own lore? Well, regardless, they all try, fail, and decide to reconvene the following day. The next day, Pooh goes to see Christopher Robin, only to find a note on his door saying he's gone out. 
uh, Pooh, being a, ver a bear of very little brain, cannot read it, so he takes it to Al's house, where everyone is gathered, and Al misreads the note, claiming Christopher Robin has been abducted by a creature known as the Baxen. They all come up with a plan to catch the Baxen, helmed by Rabbit, and they set out to make it happen, all the while Pooh still being hungry from apparently not having eaten in over 24 hours? Uh... That's yeah, around about at that point. Right, it's been an entire day now. He woke up, was hungry, they tried to find a tail for Eeyore, and then he woke up and was still hungry. <laughs> While they're all setting the trap, however, Tigger takes Eeyore under his wing as Tigger 2, in an attempt to better track and catch the backs in themselves, only to end up with Tigger wandering aimlessly in a slapdash backs in disguise, uh, and Eeyore hiding from him at the bottom of a lake, lest he have to endure Tigger's shenanigans. Having fully set up the trap, Pooh ends up springing it, because he's an idiot, and he was craving the empty jar of honey that they had placed over a pitfall. He uh, literally fell for the honeypot. He, he fell for it after having already fell for it once before. I mean, in his defense, he did have a full-on honey-ridden hallucination for a while, so he probably wasn't thinking straight. He did. Everything is honey is one of the yeah. lyrics in that song is he so claims. Just everything is honey. Who cares? I'll eat whatever. I think it might be the name of the song. It might be. I have to look yeah. on IMDb. Check the songwriting yeah. credits. <laughs> um, well, his friends are clueless to help him, but Eeyore comes to the rescue with an anchor that he found at the bottom of the lake. Uh, this plan backfires, pulling everyone but Piglet uh, and the wandering Tigger into the pit with them, with Pooh, I suppose. After multiple misunderstandings, the group sends Piglet off to obtain a jump rope from Christopher Robin's house, only for Piglet to come across Tigger in his disguise, uh, frightening him and causing him to run away, crashing into the letters of the storybook that they're in. Uh, these letters proceed to fall into the pit, creating a ladder that lets everyone escape from it. Christopher Robin then miraculously arrives from the bushes, explaining to everyone what his letter meant, and they all have a hearty chuckle and an angry stare at Owl, who proceeds to run away. Uh, the next day, Pooh goes to Owl's house for a bite to eat, uh, now presumably going two entire days on an empty stomach. God help that poor little bear. <laughs> Only to find Eeyore's tail, uh, remember from the beginning of the film, that plot point um al took it cluelessly apparently and had been using it as a bell ringer for his door Pooh, yeah, the strip stole it off of poor donkey's ass yeah he didn't like he... Hmm, no one responded when i pulled it so i just stole it it's like there's no real justification for having d him done it he just is like well i just took it well i flew into the part of the woods that eeyore usually resides and just found this hanging off of a donkey's ass and just well no just one did was not using give it a damn I rang it twice and no one answered, so it's mine now. You know, not like no one was home if you really thought it was a door knocker. That's the equivalent of knocking on someone's door. They're not home, so you rip the door off the house and take it. <laughs> but, At least the knocker. Right. Regardless, uh, he took it cluelessly and was using it. Uh, Pooh takes it to Eeyore. Christopher Robin pins it on the sad donkey, and Pooh is rewarded with a large pot of honey, which he proceeds to climb into and swim around in aimlessly uh we're treated to the credits and we have an after credits scene revealing the Baxen to be real who uh 
picks up a few of the things that they left out for him and then falls into a pit, claiming that he hopes whoever left all the stuff behind would be back soon. And then the movie ends. I didn't even see the after credits thing. Oh, really? Well, you got, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You kind of have to sit through all the credits first. Yeah, the credits will take up a good like fifth of the entire runtime. Right. Yeah. But but yeah, those are those are both of the movies. Definitely spent a lot more time describing the second one because there's more structure to it as a as a film. Ironic, considering that one's even shorter than the original. Yeah, it's only like an hour and four minutes, I think. And that's not even accounting for credit time. Like, when you take that out, it's maybe close to like 50 minutes or like 45. Right. It's like, I remember first seeing this in the theater and I was like, I was kind of flabbergasted. I was like, wait, that's it? How much did I pay for this ticket? Yeah, I paid a full movie price ticket for what is essentially just a just a TV special. You know, I'm going to theater hop into the next one by me and that is also going to account for this ticket because i did not yeah. pay to just watch a tv movie in the theater yeah i'll go see insert timely 2011 movie reference <laughs> i was actually thinking of one and i couldn't think of a movie that came out in 2011 i was oh. like i was like oh we did true grit that was 2010 close enough <laughs> yeah let's just say you went and saw true grit yeah, I saw True Grit. That's where I saw it originally. Hooray! Hooray! Pooh Bear and True Grit double feature at the drive-in. Go tonight. Um, <laughs> so, that being said, now that the synopses are covered... <laughs> excuse What? Uh, I'm imagining the Mr. Forrester guy, but he's wearing Pooh's pants. <laughs> <laughs> There's a rumbly in my tumbly. <laughs> oh, man, I want a photo edit of that. That'd be great. <laughs> Internet, get on it, please. I might just do that myself. That sounds great. Oh, um, I might draw it. <laughs> well, with both anyway, you were saying <laughs> with both of the synopses taken care of, let's go into the uh, full circle segment. Uh, music, <laughs> music, please. So this one is also fairly short, um, and I believe I've already mentioned this connection previously, possibly on the True Grit episode, but um, before that, uh, sound, camera, and music department similarities between Winnie the Pooh, uh, the 2011 Winnie the Pooh, and a lot of other movies we've covered. The 83 Scarface, the 84 Ghostbusters, uh, Blade Runner, I believe. Uh, Blade Runner 2049, I believe. There's a lot of crossover with those departments in plenty of the movies we've talked about. Like, too numerous for me to just list. God, imagine the resume of sound designers in Hollywood. <laughs> it's gotta be like a mile long. They they get around a lot. So do stunt yeah. workers, I've, I've found. There must, there must not be a whole lot. I, or there I, is a whole... There is a whole lot. Right. That, I mean, yeah, it's departments, so they usually have a lot of those people. It's not like actors where you have one role. You have to work throughout the whole movie, even if they partition it f to particular people. Right. But that being said, sort of the main one to bring up is John Fiedler, uh, character actor John Fiedler, who was not only Piglet in Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, but I believe he was the voice of Piglet up until, like, 
2005, I think he was the official voice of Piglet. And around that time, he either retired and then passed away, or he just passed away. Uh, But he's definitely gone now, right? But he was lawyer J. Noble Daggett in John Wayne's True Grit, 1969. Uh, Oh. Really? Yes, definitely shows up at the end of the film. And I, I... Either yeah. on the ep- either on the episode or off the episode, I do remember bringing that up because I. I oh yeah, I, rem- I do remember that now. I grew up with him as Piglet, and then started seeing all the other work he had done. So every time I see it, I'm like, "Oh, there's that Piglet guy!" And then soon enough, I <laughs> learned I learned his name, John Fiedler. I remember in school we watched Twelve Angry Men, and he's one of the jury members. And I oh. saw him. He's in the. Uh, the Meek Shall Inherit episode of The Twilight Zone where the man becomes Santa Claus. He's like the head of the mall. And I heard his voice and I was like, that's Piglet. That's the Piglet guy. And being a character actor, he really gets around in, in old Hollywood. And he's a, he's in a lot of TV shows and a lot of old movies. Well, but he, I learned something today. Right. He, he just has that voice. Such is the way of full circle. <laughs> right. If we want to do a little bit of full circle that I didn't write down, just that I sort of know offhand, um, I don't remember the name, but one of my favorite episodes of The Twilight Zone is a married couple get a TV and it stops working. So they have a TV repairman come in and fix it and it starts showing visions of the future, of them in the future, their future lives, which causes them to commit crimes and plot to kill each other. But... Hmm. The TV repairman is Sterling Holloway, uh, original voice of Winnie the Pooh. Oh. And it's another guy who's just like, his voice is Pooh Bear's voice. So every time you hear him speak, you're like, that's Pooh Bear. It's Sterling Holloway. He was also Cheshire Cat. And he was the mouse in the Aristocats. He he did a, a lot of stuff for Disney. Well then. Yep. Ain't that something. <laughs> that's sort of the end of my segment. All right, then. Thank you for listening to Full Circle. (laughs) Consider the circle closed. (laughs) In at least some fashion. Right. Hey, that's my new ending. Oh, that's how I should end the segments now, huh? Hey. (laughs) We're learning. Yes. Okay, so uh, where do you... Character growth. (laughs) But but where where do you sort of want to go from here? Because there's a lot of different things to talk about. There's art style, there's voice acting, there's oh yeah, just sort of the interactions, storytelling. I mean, I kind of figured I'd start from, like, my whole general thought process of this whole deal. Like, it's, like, I mean, first of all, this is the first animated film we've done, so it's a, you know, it's a bit different structure already, which you'll probably be a bigger expert on this, you know, you with, you know, your knowledge of voice acting and that sort of thing. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, like you're definitely better at it than me. That's for, that's for dang sure. But it was an interesting thing to think about because this is a rare opportunity to see a remake, or at least a reboot or reuse of a you know previous property by the same company as the original because they, like the original was still made by Disney and then the 2011 version was also Disney and so it's the same kind of art style it's the same personality types and they have really no need to change anything because they know how beloved it was so it's interesting seeing not necessarily how you know big societal changes but even seeing like with a lot of you know 
various films, it's cool seeing just a company's changes, like the very distinct differences in, f- you know, feeling of animation or plot or what have you in the 77 versus the 2011 version. And there's just like that alone just kind of breaks down the entire thing. You know, I guess that that's true. I, I hadn't really thought about that. Especially in the movies we've covered, I, I think Ghostbusters might be the only one where the studio's the same. I think the others might have been different studios that got the rights. Right. The Ghostbusters was Ghostbusters was Paramount, and then Winnie the Pooh was Disney, and it's just the same company sort of reinventing the wheel. And even then, like with you know Ghostbusters, they changed so much of the plot already that you could they really couldn't compare the two, you know, two specifically in that regard. Versus this one, it's still very much the archetype of Winnie the Pooh, which is like you know characters, certain sp- personalities, and miscellaneous adventures. But right, and so it just kind of creates a really cool, you know, it's kind of like reading the rings on a tree. It's like you know, compare the two from one age to the next. Right. And I, and I guess part of that probably stems from the fact that this movie is, this movie is, is a sequel to yeah. the, the many adventures, but it, it's also a reboot because it, it's a sequel in that it's not telling the same story. It's, it's yeah. telling different stories from the same source material using the same characters, but. And it is still definitely after the fact because it's like you know chris robin is definitely in school now so he doesn't visit as often right but you can tell even though they're not like explicitly this is pooh bear this is piglet they they still they have the opening song which is iconic but then they also have another sort of reintroduction of characters once you get into the movie who's like hello eeyore hello al and there's the whole thing where tigger is stalking Pooh in the bushes and i guess kids of a different generation maybe that somehow don't know what Winnie the Pooh is this is their Winnie the Pooh this is their introduction to it so it's a surprise when Tigger attacks the balloon that Pooh's carrying I guess yeah that's so, true so I can de- I can definitely this is uh, this is just as much a reboot as it is a sequel which is interesting yeah it's kind of that weird fourth archetype we've always tried to find it's just you know Taking the entire thing and just doing whatever the heck. Right, it's the combination of them. Yeah, it's a weird, you know, hybrid situation from within the same family. So it's a hybrid and an inbred. Right, but it does do that. It does do that well in that uh, it just it, it carries it carries the source material so much further. Right. And and I alluded to that. Well, I didn't allude to it. I straight up said it when I was talking about the Tigger movie and the search for Christopher Robin. They. They sort of fall flat because they're trying to come up with their own stories. But even though they elaborate on the Baxen story from the book, because in the House at Pooh Corner story, it's just Pooh slash Rabbit finds a note that says he'll be back soon. Al misreads it as Baxen. And then Rabbit runs around asking all the neighbors if they've seen a Baxen hanging out with Christopher Robin, and that's it. (laughs) But they take that and just the personalities of the character and they're able to build on it creating a story that feels like it was pulled straight out of the book right and with then, like a bit differences with the you know how they handle it like there's a certain not not more energetic but kind of more frantic feel of the newer one versus the older one 
Like that's kind of seems like the more Disney, like Disney this day, day and age, where things seem to be a bit more, you know, light the fire under the characters a bit faster. Whereas the original was just kind of like dum de dum. Oh, definitely. There's like an entire adventure built out of it. The closest I feel you get to that in the original would be, I guess Pooh's Pooh's nightmare, or when yeah. when Rabbit Pooh and Piglet are trying to abandon Tigger in the woods, and those aren't really high paced, but they have some horror elements particularly like towards kids that i guess can build up that adrenaline but there, there's nothing quite like it right yeah it's just it's just kind of like a nice little soft walk through the forest which even the introductory song even kind of shows aspects of that like you know in 77 it's this whole you know classic older like older movie chorus kind of going on and then the new one it's sung by a very very pleasant-voiced lady who sounds like she probably cans her own beats. <laughs> I love that lady. Isn't it? I think the it's new like, one is... is It's someone I know. It's, it's like Demi Lovato or something. I, I remember reading it. and That doesn't surprise me. I knew it was either, some sort of it's either the archetype or I've, something. It's either the archetype I said or like some like kind of pop star who's done who's done it for the recognition. Right. Which, again, kind of s- shows the differences of the times. <laughs> right. I. Mm-hmm. That's going to bother yeah. me for a little bit, but that's all right. I just wish I could remember. Oh, it's Zoe Deschanel. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. That. So, so it was both. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Excellent. That being said, though, um, if we're talking about the theme song real quick, I, I wanted to point out... I. It's not something I noticed that I had a problem with until I watched the featurette that I have on the Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh DVD I, I own. Um, mm-hmm. And that's... Zoe Deschanel does a fine job singing. Just It's it's that sort of melancholic... Without without being sad, it still sounds somber. Right. And Kind of, kind of a weird term. It's kind of that weird middle ground where it's like... It's a happy song... But it's being sung by someone who's like, you know, trying to calm down a kid or something. Right. I'm not sure why it was done that way, but I, I, I understand that we can't have the choir in there doing it because kids don't... That doesn't pull with kids anymore. That was a very of-the-time Disney sort of thing, you know, thorough Ravenscroft in the choir singing it mm-hmm. sort of deal. However, and I may be wrong... But they explain on the featurette that the original theme song is composed in such a way that the music itself introduces the characters alongside the lyrics. There's different instruments that play the theme song coinciding with the characters. There's like a a bass tuba of some sort with Eeyore. There's a flute with Kanga, a clarinet with Owl, you know? Huh. And they all, That's actually really clever. Right, they all they all play based on these based on these characters, and I I don't believe that that's present in the 2011 version of the theme song. Yeah, I think it's it's just, just her singing, and then the background music. It was like acoustic guitar, I think. Right, I think so. Yes, but there may have been something, but it was subtle. Right. But yeah, I definitely I definitely do remember that. I remember that in the original, it was. I remembered enough that I, I, you know, 
realized, oh, that's what they were doing, versus the new one. I was like, yeah, I don't really remember that at all. Right. It, it was yeah. It was one of those things. I recognized there were different instruments, but I never tied it to the fact that they specifically picked the instrument to play, like based on what character they were in the middle of introducing, trying to link all the characters to specific types of instruments. I I didn't I didn't I never realized that, and that made it so much cooler. Oh yeah, it's it, it's kind of cool. It's always cool to see little moments of care animation like with animations like that whenever it's like oh this is how we further describe this character without it necessarily being a character trope you can just do stuff like that you know it's cartoons you can't really do that with characters in a live action film where all of a sudden the music changes abruptly whenever they're around it's like that seems a little weird like imagine in true crit every time a new character would get introduced a new a new type of slide guitar plays or something Slide guitar? They didn't have slide guitar in that movie. What am I thinking? <laughs> you know the slide guitar, the famous slide guitar. I'm thinking. I'm thinking of like other Western movies right now. I'm sorry. I've been. I, I played Borderlands the other day, and it's just in my head now. <laughs> so why wasn't Claptrap in a Hundred Acre Woods? Tell me that. <laughs> I thought Claptrap would technically be poo. I guess no. Claptrap is not nearly lovable enough to be poo. Well, I mean, I guess it, I mean that's also the nature of b- the Borderlands world. Nothing's really lovable. I guess so. Who did um who did the voice acting for Tigger in the seventy seven version? Oh, uh, Paul Winchell. Who okay. is he? He was like the voice of Gargamel in the original Smurfs. He was Dick Dastardly in Wacky Races. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, he had did a lot of that. I I just wasn't sure if it was the same person who did poo like in the new one like how jim cumming did um, right. Pooh and tiglet 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 <laughs> my favorite character <laughs> oh god no uh, <laughs> yeah the, the, each of them no uh, well jim cummings took over as Pooh for sterling holloway while paul winchell was still alive doing tigger and then mm. once paul winchell passed jim cummings took tigger took on tigger as well because he could do it yeah um but yeah that voice is still consistent too the only character whose voice, and, and this isn't counting Christopher Robin, by the way, because a little boy is just a little boy. Yeah, it's like, whatever. The only character whose voice is, like, never consistent is Rabbit. Every time you see a version of Rabbit, it's, it's like a completely different voice. It's like they're not even trying to replicate one another. It just shifts constantly. Yeah. Like, which I guess is okay, like... Even Rabbit's personality has never been terribly consistent. Like, in the seventy-seven version, he's kind of just you know, various like, st- like kind of stickler type. Like, kind of it's kind of like that one annoying neighbor you have. Versus in the new one, he almost seems like, like manic in a lot of ways. Which I guess, again, is like kind of like the, that that annoying neighbor you have, but in a more modern sense. Like back in the day, it may have just been like a nuisance type. Versus now, it's like straight up a little bit whack <laughs> which right right i can i can see that it's it's just like so we go from the 77 movie which is those all those shorts that disney did before the movie came out and rabbit's like the the very uppity like tigger please sort of voice yeah. afterwards we go into a day for eeyore and he's like well poo buh, 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 and then the seasons thing I I mentioned before the show, which was like an educational thing they did. 
Right, like an extra little bit. He sounds like a boring old school teacher. He still has that nasal thing, but it like completely changes. We get into the search for Christopher Robin, Tigger movie sort of era, and it kind of goes back to the way it was. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'm just showing, because especially like newer voice actors, I just I just know who they are at this point. I just hear them and I know who it is. So maybe that's my flaw. But as soon as I heard Rabbit speak in the 2011 one, I was like, oh, that's Tom Kenny. That's SpongeBob doing Rabbit. It was just yeah. the first thing that I thought as soon as I heard it. Yeah. So maybe that's my own fault. But but then we go into Christopher Robin and it's completely changed again. All the characters sort of have that style. But now Rabbit's oh, yeah. just like stock British person. It. Yeah. It, yeah. He's just kind of like. I think it's always just kind of meant to be like rabbits just meant to be like a foil to Pooh's shenanigans. And that's depending on the time that has to change a little. And so it, with that kind of character, it can never really be consistent no matter what you do. And then he barely had a, you know, a purpose at all in the Christopher, in the Christopher Robin film. He was really just there to just kind of flesh out the cast. Right. Kangaroo, rabbit and owl like did nothing. Oh yeah. They were completely to the background, which kind of sucked, but. Yeah, a little. Rabbit, uh, Tigger was my favorite character growing up, but man, going back through these, Rabbit is the MVP character. I love him. <laughs> he really is kind of an unsung hero. My, my favorite was always Eeyore, and Eeyore absolutely steals it in Christopher Robin. Like, they turned his depressing relatability up to 11 with this one. I was like, oh my god, Eeyore, you poor bastard. <laughs> right. He, he, he really does steal a lot of that movie. Uh, voiced yeah. by voiced by Brad Garrett of Everybody Loves Raymond fame. Oh, uh, fun. He really does steal that picture. And Eeyore, I guess I do like Eeyore a lot, and I think that I think that's because Eeyore and Rabbit are probably the most relatable characters in the Pooh franchise. A little bit, yeah. You, you can identify them with them so easily. Every time Tigger messes up something Rabbit's doing, I, I'm just like, oh, come on, really? <laughs> Did he really just do that? And then he's just going to bounce away? It's like, peace out, yo. What a miserable life. <laughs> At least for Rabbit. <laughs> yeah. But, that, but yeah, that being said, I, I that was just something that I noticed. Is that mm -hmm. you can sort of tell the voices change, but they even keep that consistent. Because at this point, those are the voices people know. But Oh, yeah. Rabbit's is, Rabbit's is fairly dynamic. And, like, we, you know... All of us of our generation and previous have probably rewatched the 77 version so much that those voices are burned into our brains for the rest of our lives. Like, even to the point where when I first saw the trailers for um, Christopher Robin, that I heard, you know, Jim Cummings as, you know, the voice of Pooh again. And my brain immediately thought, it's like, oh, they have the same voice actor as from the original one. It's like, which I then had to think, no, that's not probably true. Right, but that's it's like not possible. they're so similar and they're so well kept that it's like, oh yeah, these are just just the voices we've always come to know. It's just this is the most recent you know iteration of it. Right, that's the truest. That's the that's the true MVP Jim Cummings. Just oh yeah. Side note on that, he he, honest to God, is my Jim Cummings is my favorite voice actor. That's not a flip flop thing. That that really is what I tell everybody. Just because really. he's. He's so dynamic, and he he does Louisiana accents really well, which I always enjoy that sort of Bayou thing. <laughs> he do, he does yeah. those really well, and he 
he can do a Sterling Holloway so well that he's just Disney's official poo. He's Disney's official Cheshire Cat right now because he can do those voices. Oh, yeah. Like, he's dead on all the time. Right. Oh, and, of course, he's Disney's official Tigger, lest we forget. Right. Lest we so obviously forget. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, it's just... And, like... It's interesting hearing like all of that, like how consistent all the characters are, and and that's all. It, it, it's because of that that I kind of had a weird flip flop feeling with going from like you know obviously I watched the seventy seven version before I watched the twenty eleven version, and like watching it one after the other, it's really weird. Like you have the same characters, but the structure of the two thousand eleven one is so different that it's kind of jarring like and that's kind of really does bring back come back to like you know comparing a, a big such a company like disney's old work with their new work where the entire feeling of its change where i kind of mentioned it had this whole the new disney has a lot more of a frantic feeling to it for some reason i got like a lot of like frozen rapunzel vibes from the 2011 version just kind of the f- like almost forcibly upbeat feeling to it the part like it doesn't really give you a chance to let your heart rate go down it's so to speak that's not to say like when the poo is you know making my heart race or anything it's right like, oh my it's like oh my god the back's in i'm gonna have a heart attack no i get that the 77 one is a lot more somber and there's plenty right. And, and that's not to say it's a sad movie. It definitely is happy and upbeat, but the characters are so laid back in doing what they're doing. Oh, yeah. Like, and it, like it's, a long, and it's a movie that's it's only like an hour and 15 minutes, but so much of that is just moments of almost quietness or just like moments of, you know, lags between dialogue. And it just it still kind of makes the film. Yeah, and, and sort of the, not to completely break the show, but sort of a really good companion piece to that is uh, Disney's The Jungle Book, which came out around the same time as the 77 Pooh movie. And right. that's also a very somber, it has a lot more hectic scenes because there's more action in it, but there's plenty of times where it's laid back, you get this, ja- in The Jungle Book's case, jazzy sort of music just lightly in the background to just show you how laid back everything can be. And if you take that and compare it to Winnie the Pooh, that's sort of what's happening throughout the entire movie. Characters will talk and then they'll stop while they're doing something. And it's just the whatever the music is in the background playing. Oh yeah. And like this, and this is a smaller point. I just remembered because you compared the two. I actually do know they both came out pretty similar because in a similar time, because, um, I remember seeing a uh, piece online that showed there's an animation cell or a series of animation like frames that are copy pasted from one movie to the next between Winnie the Pooh and Jungle Book. It's of the Mowgli slash Christopher Robin climbing over a log over a river uh, and they actually yeah. played them side by side and they're the exact same one just colored differently. That does make which is, sense. Which that- is- which is fine, like, obviously. Oh, definitely. I don't care. That does make sense. I was going to say, um, the re- even though I, I don't know the exact year of the Jungle Book, I know they came out in the same Disney period because that's the period where all the animation was the rough, scratchy lines that 
there, there's not solid lines. It's like four or five different scratches that make up the uh, the drawings. They're really rough. You know, the Sword and the Stone, the Aristocats, Jungle Book, and Winnie the Pooh all have that same art style. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, and Robin it. Hood. That's right. Um, oh, yeah. Like, that's a very, very characteristic of that whole era, which is kind of kind of defined a lot of Disney's greatest work. Um, but yeah, like there was, there was actually one point I was going to bring up about, you know, like back on the subject of like quieter moments is that it reminds me of, um, a specific technique I'd saw seen a lot. It's actually a Japanese technique. It's the idea of ma, which means, um, empty space. And actually, um, Hayao Miyazaki, you know, of, you know, studio Ghibli fame talks about a lot where there's just, it, it, gives the breathing room in a way during an animation or during a film that kind of lets you be immersed in its kind of in its own reality whereas a lot of modern movies kind of forget that like you know think michael bay where it's not allowed to give you any kind of breathing room to the point where you're just like this is just kind of boring where it's you can't get absorbed in because everything is so balls to the wall at all times right i definitely yeah i feel that and that's a that's a good point I, I've never heard that Miyazaki quote, but it definitely applies to his. And Oh, yeah. His and mo- obviously... Oh, yeah, yeah, you go sorry. ahead, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, his movies are inherently, they're just a lot more action-oriented. There's always more stuff happening, but he still finds time to put that stuff in. Like, uh, one of his earlier movies is uh, Nausicaa Valley of the Wind, and, you know, there's, there's, gi- there's fights with giant bugs constantly happening, yet they still have time for that sort of empty space feeling. Right. And I, I, I feel that like that does carry over, but it's a lot more noticeable in a film that doesn't have those sort of action oriented scenes in it, because then the film is composed almost entirely of that space with, but it doesn't feel empty. Yeah. It's empty space, but the movie doesn't feel empty. Right. And obviously this isn't like, it's not an exclusively Miyazaki thing. Like the word itself, it's one of those words that doesn't translate directly in any one word in any other language. It, but every, it seems like every culture has some form of it, be it, you know, like resting points or breathing room, that sort of thing. And this movie kind of has its own version of it where it's not necessarily breathing room in between action. Like a lot of um, Japanese films like Miyazaki's style, can tend to do because they tend to still have even in kids movies still have to have moments of huge action versus in these ones it's it's more breathing room around moments of i guess attention not even necessarily action it's just like oh this is what's happening now right so it's a more subtle effect so it doesn't seem like there's as many peaks and valleys to it and, you know, I guess it's interesting to think about. I guess that's a very Winnie the Pooh point to make about all of this, is that a, a problem with the newer Winnie the Pooh film, the 2011 one, is that it lacks nothing. Yeah. It, it needs more nothing in it to really capture that Winnie the Pooh feeling. Yeah, it's like... It's like someone took an it's like someone took an art class and did a really paint by the numbers picture which on all technical levels is absolutely perfect but it lacks 
any kind of memorable feeling to it. Like, you know, imagine if someone had done, made a paint by the numbers version of the Mona Lisa, where you could just pick each specific spot, put, put a very specific color in it, and then it made it perfectly. It's like, yeah, that's technically brilliant and beautiful, but it doesn't really hold on to anything. Yeah, that's that's a yeah, that's very true. I it lacks it lacks the room for like it, it lacks crack. Uh, it, uh, actually, this is kind of a cool um, quote that I um, that I actually had growing up was just because the ground has cracks in it, like or how did it go? It's like it's okay for the ground to have cracks. There, it's where all the most interesting things grow. Oh, that is a nice. Yeah. Is a, where'd you get that? I, it must have been. I may have been just like just from my mom. Like this was just a thing I had. Like it was one of those quotes you get when you're growing up, where it's just like, oh, it's one of those generic quotes. It's like, oh, keep on going, keep maturing in a normal way, yada yada. No, I definitely. Yeah, I know those. That's yeah. yeah I, I I like that. It's just. But I hadn't I hadn't remembered that one for a while, and then there was that. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> well, now it's preserved. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's sort of that's that's sort of why I brought up that point of it lacking nothing is so is so even though i do enjoy that the new film it's so it's almost anti winnie the pooh in that respect because yeah exactly if if you look at the old if you look at the old film the 77 version and if you look at christopher robin that just came out they have that quote took it taken 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 straight from yes yeah straight from the aa milne book that is basically christopher robin asks pooh what's his favorite thing to do and he's like, well, I don't know, eating honey. And Christopher Robin's like, well, I like doing nothing. Well, mm-hmm. and and Pooh sort of agrees with that. He likes doing nothing. But in the in the 2011 Winnie the Pooh movie, he's never n- not doing something. He's never doing nothing. They're always on the move. They're always doing something. Something's going on or happening that has right. everyone's attention. Whereas in like the 77 one, there's a distinct, <clears throat> there's a like a distinct emphasis put on like Pooh's thinking spot. Like that, that's a thing that shows up multiple times throughout the piece. And it's like, nothing really comes of that. Even in many situations, it's like whatever action of that particular story he's in comes not of what he was necessarily thinking there. In some cases, it just kind of like happens. And he's just like, Oh, okay. Now I'm doing this. Right. It's like that. Technically him being in that spot was pointless, but it was still, significant it still felt like him doing nothing but he just didn't realize it yeah he that's just that's the sort of the character he is right and i love him for it is that him doing nothing is still doing something and even though he's too foolish to realize he's not doing anything he's wise enough to realize that not doing anything is also technically doing something right and i think it's actually kind of nice that um that actually gets brought up in the uh, in the Christopher Robin film, not quite as well as the original, but it still does kind of hold weight. There are moments of just kind of peace and nothingness that I do get brought up nicely, and I'm glad they did it. Um, it's just kind of interesting to think back on, just comparing that to the 2011 version. Right, and I and again, yeah, it is a very it is a very well put together movie, and. Even though it doesn't have the feeling, the characters' personalities are still really, they're really well intact. Their interactions with one each other 
are mm. are perfect. I I really do. I think it's a good movie. It's just lacking that that one thing, and that one thing just so happens to be almost Nothing the embodiment of Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, right. And it's it really is interesting to th- to whenever you notice that it's it's almost like it's like this kind of weird maturing effect. It's like, you know, when you're a kid, they're just moments of nothing. And then when you get older, the personality is the same, but there seems to be a bit less space, which I'm probably reading into this more than I need to. But <laughs> no, like, go on, go on. Like, you know, obviously, you know, even an unintended message can still be a message where it's like watching one right after the other, the personalities and like personalities, voice and pretty much every aspect of you know everything outside of the story seems perfectly intact from the 77 version to the 2011 version so it really does feel like a sequel so it feels like we're in the exact same place even though it's been an an immense amount of time between both situations versus something like you know ghostbusters where it's definitely two different places it's the same idea but it's two different situations altogether um or even like blade runner 2049 where over that amount of time just a lot's changed to the point where it has to be different. Whereas this one, it really does feel like we've just kind of grown from this situation. And as a result, there's kind of a loss of, you know, what we understood as like what we found to be peaceful, what we kind of found to be enjoyable. Yeah. I, yeah, I do feel that. And it's, you know, the more I think about it, the more depressing it becomes. So, you know, that's, (laughs) that's fun. (laughs) You know, and then thinking about that on to Christopher Robin, where it's like, you know, shows Christopher Robin leaving the Hundred Acre Wood and going into the real world and going into World War Two. It's just like, oh, my God, I'm getting killed here. <laughs> it's like I, that was. Oh, my Jesus. That was very strange. I, I was not expecting that, even though I know the time that's the time frame. I was not expecting. Oh, well, yeah. Movie. Uh, but yeah, they did not hold back in that whole thing. It's just like. If you wanted to, like, kind of imagine it as being, you know, the 77 version, then the 2011 version, then Christopher Robin as all one big sequence of events, you know, notable continuity errors notwithstanding. It's actually kind of a weird situation of watching a, watching a movie mature, like physically mature over the, you know, a realistic amount of time. Right. Man, that is depressing. Okay, yeah. let's, let's move off. <laughs> let's move off. Let's move off the depressing things and yeah, and, let's and move talk into more about, general analysis. Yeah, let's talk about something else, uh, like Eeyore. Let's <laughs> let's move from the depressing things to Eeyore. <laughs> let's talk about Eeyore. Uh, you know, uh. he he. Even though my favorite character is Rabbit, he he holds a lot of. Comparing the two movies, in both instances, he sort of gets the brunt of the jokes. I, I feel like more j- the jokes are more likely to land when he's delivering them. Right. Because <laughs> of that, I guess because of that woe is me personality that is so relatable to anyone. <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah, it, it really, he really just is the embodiment of like you on your worst day. And so it's the perfect relatable little foil to have for it. It's like, oh, even though there's all this, they're still friends. <laughs> Eeyore gets me. Oi. <laughs> yeah, being said, I'm glad that they changed his, they sort of changed his personality from the book 
to those mm. cartoons to just be depressing because he's in the novel. He he's he's still sad and gloomy all the time, but he's also an asshole. He's just mean. <laughs> he's called people stupid, and he's like pooey piglet. They just don't understand because they're idiots. Like, Aww. I don't like this character. It's like it's like Winnie the Pooh in the Winnie the Pooh comics. Like, have you ever seen those? No. Where, like, like I th- they must have just been like newspaper comics or something. But there's just a series of comics where Pooh is just a straight up dick. Like, he'll he goes from just being like kind of clueless to just being outright kind of rude to some of the people. Like, um, Piglet would say something kind of inane or something like that, or something that wasn't even not necessarily too inane, but just kind of like senseless. And Pooh would just go, you are a terribly, terribly ignorant little thing, Piglet, or something to those lines. Oh my God. <laughs> and I got to I wish I knew one offhand. And I'm actually tempted to look one up now because it's just Pooh is vicious in them. <laughs> it's so funny. That's definitely that's more vicious than he is just senseless, I guess, in the uh, <laughs> this is quickly becoming an analysis of all things Winnie the Pooh, which. Uh, yeah. I'll, uh, we won't harp on it too much, but just to bring up to that point, I guess it's in the A Day for Eeyore short, which popped up after the movie. I think that might oh, be yeah. it. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't think it's in either of the other movies, but it's them celebrating Eeyore's birthday, which everyone forgot about. I think that um, may have been like one of the cartoon, um, like one of the like like um, you know serialized cartoons. It might it might have been, but I know it's pulled from a story in the original books. But he <laughs> he has that childlike wonder about him, and that he he says he's gonna give Eeyore a pot of honey for his birthday, and Piglet's like, "Oh, can it also be for me?" And he sort of looks at the pot, and he's like, "That's not a good idea." <laughs> and you can see his thought process, and you instantly understand he's being selfish, which is a very childlike thing. Which, which is perfect for Pooh. He, he's like, well, I thought of this gift. I want it to be just from me. You can give him something else. You're right. not butting in on. You're not butting in on my good deed for the day. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, it's and, a little harsh. Um, something I did. Something I wanted to bring up to that effect. Uh, well, not to that effect, but I'm going to relate it somehow. Is uh-huh. there's a there's a very thin thread in the original movie since they're all just it's essentially a compilation of theatrical shorts that sort of connects them all. And it's still there, but it's very small. Whereas they, they get away with having continuity more so in the new one, because it's just one big story. And then they took the other story and put it at the beginning and end. So it technically ties together, but you get, Mm. you get little glimpses of it throughout. And I really enjoy it. I, re- I really do enjoy that. It's through character interaction and the way they remember things that happened earlier in the film. And and that's yeah. something I wish, I actually do kind of wish was more present in the, the older one. Like um, some thread of like actual, you know, continuity. Right. Just them remembering what's happened. Like there are things like, well very basic like Tigger showed up and now everyone knows that Tigger exists because he exists in the movie or mm-hmm. um, you're interrupting the party at the end because he found Owl's house because he was searching for a new house for Owl that whole time those are like the only two real instances I can think of 
But I mean, that's also like you know, letting back to the fact that these originally were separate shorts, and so right, they had to be kind of each self-contained. Right, and I under I do understand that, but it's still it still is a desire that I have. Uh, right, and and they do it so well to sort of give give more points since we we were complaining about the 2011 one for the longest time. Yeah. Um, to give it some points to that, some of the best moments in the movie are points that are continuity based and you just don't think about them like Eeyore dragging the anchor from the <laughs> lake to rescue that he wouldn't be able to do that if his tail wasn't missing. It's it's attached to the nail where his tail usually would be. Yeah. But since his tail's not there, it's almost like the anchor is the newest audition for Eeyore's tail, even though they don't directly <laughs> mention it. And I think that's cool. Uh, it's kind of funny how um, e- Eeyore comes in singing, like, like you know, gloomily singing the Hooray, You Won song yeah. that everyone <laughs> always sings whenever someone finds a new tale. And so it's like, you know, I didn't think it's about me, that. it's me. So it's like, even that adds a little bit more to it. It's like, oh, that's cute. I didn't think about that. Yeah, that even makes, that makes it even a further continuation of the tale storyline. Right, because he's, he's playing it up himself. Right. And and another Eeyore point of continuity that is more a joke than anything else. I love, love, love in the Baxson song that Al starts where they're all giving their ideas to what the Baxson does. <laughs> the part where Eeyore goes, I bet he gave me the cold I caught. Which <laughs> he never had a cold. Earlier in the film, they think that Al's sneezing, and then Eeyore thinks that Al gave him a cold. So he's just, he's continually building up this mythos that he's sick, even though he's not. Yeah. <laughs> he, he still thinks he has a cold from, like, 20 minutes ago, and I I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> he's still just, like, paranoid about it. He still, he still thinks he's getting sick. Yeah, he's got, like, I wonder what the, it's not even paranoia, it's just immediate resignation that the bad things will happen to me. (laughs) That's exactly what he says when when Pooh says, I think you're catching a cold. He's like, it'll probably happen to me too. Oh my god, it's, (laughs) I think, I think our running moral of this one is Eeyore is without fault. (laughs) He did nothing wrong. (laughs) Eeyore did nothing wrong, he is a joy and just the absolute MVP of both of all three films we've talked about. Right. In I mean in fact, I mean he does more right than he does wrong. He, oh, it's yeah. not his fault the anger plan failed. Oh, yeah, like that's the whole thing of it. He doesn't try like he's so depressed that he doesn't try to do anything, and so in that he doesn't nearly fail nearly as much as everyone else. Right. He's <laughs> just kind of there and so the few times that he is there, he ends up helping a lot more than he's ever hurt. So, it, right, and it, <laughs> it, it, like it, okay, so Eeyore, this is Eeyore cast now. In the original appearance of Eeyore, he's hyped up as this depressed donkey. He's sad and yeah. he's gloomy because he's sad and he's gloomy. But right off the bat in the newer film, they they don't just intentionally be like, "Well, Eeyore's sad because he's depressing." They're like. Eeyore's sad because he has reason to be sad. The the <laughs> the children's first introduction to him is his house being crushed in the theme song and then him just looking at the camera like, yeah, this happens all the time. Like, <laughs> so much so much emotion in that one stare. 
Right. He's like, yeah, this is me. <laughs> he, re- he really is just the physical embodiment of that trope. <laughs> Imagine an Eeyore movie and it starts that way. Oh my this god, I would kill me. for that. Although I'm sure there has been films similar. Well, there are a lot of movies that start with that. This is me sort of thing, but yeah, if I saw Eeyore doing it, I, I wouldn't mind. It's true. Um, Something else I wanted to go off of. I guess this is another strike against the 2011 Winnie the Pooh because it, they, cut, they cut back on it as, as the film went on, but as soon as it started, I knew there was going to be trouble. And that's the, the interplay with the narrator and the fact that they're in a book. Oh, yeah. Because they sort of build up to that fact in the original one. I, I think they get an entire story across, and then the narrator tries to move on to the next chapter, and Pooh's like, well, I want to stay here. I'm still eating honey. And he's, like, touching the page, and it's like, oh, that's cute. But in the new one, it seems like for the first 10 to 15 minutes, he is constantly talking to the narrator and constantly, like, looking at words or touching words or falling down sentences. He's like, I wish that paragraph was a little longer. And I I feel like they did too much of that. Yeah. Like, it was really interesting seeing that in the 77 version because you didn't see a whole lot of fourth wall breaking like that in you know in in you know in a lot of media like which i'm sure that was actually the case in the original book as well that they directly addressed you know the fact that they're in a book um i actually don't think they did it wasn't oh, okay that's interesting. i don't th- i don't think so well. uh, there's constant fourth wall breaking in that um the story will break, and then it'll be Christopher Robin talking to his father. Uh, oh, okay. But, but, but he doesn't usually talk di- directly to the characters in the story. But I guess that's probably where they got it from. Probably. Or got the idea from. That makes sense. But yeah, that was... I did notice that as well. Like, they did it kind of subtly, and there were a couple moments where even the fourth wall breaking, like, resolved situations... Like the when Tigger, Tigger was in the tree and they just turned the book sideways so he right. could walk down the paragraph. Right, that's sort of the ultimate of the joke because at that point they really are breaking. Yeah, like they straight up like defy physics at that point right. to just kind of mess around with it a little so they could have a resolution to the story. Whereas they kind of just do it willy nilly in the newer one. Like it just like Pooh gets woken up by the narrator flipping the book around. Right. And that's like the one of the first things that happens, which which was yeah. the sign of, oh no, is this going to be a constant thing? They eventually let up on it, which I was happy but, about. But I mean, but it, it does still come into a lot. Like how they get out of the pit in the end is by you know climbing up a staircase of letters. Exactly. the The book saves them. I I would have liked it if there was something else. I I don't know what else they would have done, but something else to have gotten them out of the hole. Right. But I, I don't know. That feels, I can't even say if it feels lazy or not because they really did. In the middle of the story, they stopped using the narrator and the letters. I feel they, they, they just yeah. It kind of like you know they had John Cleese as the narrator, and then it just all of a sudden it's just kind of like gone. Yeah, he's gone, and then shows up again near the end, and that's that's pretty much that. Right. Well, you know, win some, you lose some with that with that trope. It's like you know, 
cool ideas live and die on a specific trope. That's why the first one was so interesting, and this one was like, eh. Right. Even if they, had, even if they had just done it a little bit to to be there, the fact that they opened on it and they harped on it for so long felt like it was supposed to be a nudge to the audience, like. Well, yeah, this is how Winnie the Pooh is. He's always interacted with the narrator, so we're going to do that, too. Instead of just letting it happen naturally mm-hmm. through storytelling, they they introduce Pooh, or they introduce, like, all the characters basically through that same method, almost. I Yeah, I it's, guess so. It's more of a slight nitpick over anything else, really. Oh, yeah, which I know. Like, with the quality of both these movies, it really it does come down to nitpicking. You know, right or just general feel and you know i think you know i think we've been pretty obvious on which one we prefer yeah if i'm gonna be honest yeah and like it, it's it, it's pretty common that we do come to, to quit quite a consensus like that but yeah it's there's a certain moments especially with classics like this it's hard to argue it really is and there's something another thing i wanted to bring up and I want to know your thoughts on this because I can't tell if I'm just being nostalgia blind or not. And mm. that's the songs that they have, the musical numbers throughout. Um, mm. in Well, in the 77, the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, whatever you want to call it. In that one, they have songs, but they're, they're just small ditties. They're like hums, which sort of mirrors the book because the book has like a ton of songs in it. Where it's just like, and as Pooh was walking to Rabbit's house, he sang a song to himself. And there's like two stanzas of things Pooh made up that he's singing about. So the original one has these little ditties that he sings or that Tigger sings. And the story is still happening while they're singing. It's like moving the plot forward, even if it's not intentionally doing so. Whereas it feels they try to make, they try to make the they try to make the new one more of a musical by making the songs musical numbers that don't necessarily move forward the plot. They're just there because they're songs. Yeah, I definitely did get that feel. That's not just you. And like, it, that does kind of come back to, you know, moments of nothingness, moments of kind of downtime where it's, it really does feel like a real situation. You know, how, how often have you had to go walk to someplace or you're waiting on someone and you just come up with a little ditty in your head that you just kind of hum to yourself. And, you know, versus this one, it reverses the 2011, just kind of taking that up to a level that it didn't really need to be and kind of losing its effect as a result. Right. It. I think if I'm thinking back on it, the I think the only song that really did kind of move the plot forward is the Tigger 2 song. Yeah. C- Even that's debatable. It, it is. Because it, it, by that merit, you can say that the Baxen song also kind of moves the plot forward. I guess it probably does more so because it establishes a reason for them all to be doing this plan that Rabbit set forth. Yeah. Um, so I guess that one probably does more so, but since since the Tigger 2 one is so much more kinematic, I felt like it moved a lot more, but it really doesn't, does it? It, it doesn't establish anything other than Tigger's got this disguise now and Eeyore has an anchor. Yeah, it kind of sets up a couple points later, but otherwise it's kind of its own deal. Right, and and don't get me wrong, like that that three D animation stuff in the honey segment where he's dancing around in that world made of honey, it looks beautiful, but it 
yeah. literally halts the story for like three minutes. Oh yeah, it stopped it dead. Yeah, there's usually musicals use the use songs for progression, but that is just poo dancing with honey. Yep. To I guess so. to show off vis- visual effects, which isn't isn't inherently a bad thing, but for the purposes of plot, it definitely is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like. It was pretty, and I I can't I can hardly fault that, but yeah, it's it stopped everything dead, and it didn't really need to be drawn out as much as it was, right? So, which can be kind of summed up, you know, the movie as a whole in a, in a lot of ways. It's like it kind of dragged a lot of stuff that didn't need to be dragged, right? So. The the only the one instance where it dragged, but I honestly didn't mind. It, it all goes back to humor and sort of that miscommunication thing is when rabbit is trying to communicate with piglet when when they're all trapped in the hole and piglet's trying to rescue them or get them out of there yeah like the the nodding scene yeah that whole thing goes on for 2 minutes and and still funny exactly which okay i want your thoughts on this i haven't really thought about it until not too terribly long ago what 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 establishes that as being funny to you um, compared to the new Ghostbusters, when they're talking about letting the cat out of the bag, I want you to I want you to to tell me this. Uh, and then I'll reflect. Wordplay, I think it's it's a creative use of wordplay. Um, that you know, it's it's kind of kind of meant to be like a mental like kind of a brain teaser sort of thing. If you can follow them, what they're saying, or you're following how this character isn't following, and so it's interesting to see, you know, how these miscommunication things can come up. It's, it's, you know, it's, you know, who's on first, what's on second in cartoon form. I, versus, okay. I'm glad versus Ghostbusters. It's just them repeating the same phrase in kind of a roundabout manner to kind of try and explain a phrase. It's like, it's the difference between telling a clever joke and trying to explain a not so clever joke. Okay. And, and so it's like, you know, I understand. It's like, you know, if someone's it's funny if someone's never heard the the phrase the cat's out of the bag and you have to phrase it or you have to explain it in different ways, but it's not that funny whenever it's two characters breaking it down for the sake of, you know, just confusion and dragging out a scene versus Winnie the Pooh, it's playing around with the idea of homonyms and that sort of thing. So it's like, "Oh, okay, this is funny." Okay. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with you. It's all about cleverness. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you. I'm glad you brought up the who's on first thing because that was my my thought on it was it's it's a very Abbott and Costello-esque routine. Yep. Which happens quite a lot. Like, that's also a, a, a trope in a lot of comedy, especially cartoons, is someone saying a word mm-hmm. and someone else saying bless you or gesundheit because they think it, because it sounds like a sneeze. Which happened? That also happens in this film. Exactly. It's it's sort of a trope, but I don't know. It can still be funny. Not at you. Which I actually thought that one was really funny. Right. And that's (laughs) that sort of happens. uh, That happens a second time at the bottom of the hole as well with Pooh and Rabbit because he says not not and Pooh says who's there. (laughs) You know they. So yeah, it's not just one layer. They're not just getting not. They're not just getting two versions of not confused. Pooh also gets it confused with something else. And now there's right. three different versions of what everyone's talking about floating around. Mm-hmm. And then it's, you know, the idea of like, 
I can't tie a knot, but I can tie a bow. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so I get, so it is a lot of fun. So yeah, that's that's the distinct difference in my mind. Piglet's Piglet's very clever, and he brings up a flower, and he's like, "See, yeah, it's very pretty." <laughs> it's a very I just pretty flower. Piglet. He ends up tying the ropes into the shape of a flower at the end. Oh my god, he does uh, do that. He brings it all the way back around. Oh my god, that's a, that's a really good bit. Okay, that is. I love that. <laughs> it's very clever. So that's kind of a that whole that whole scene is quite the saving grace for the film. Right, and they sort of and they cap off that whole scene with Owl flying out of the hole to like push then, Piglet forward, and then he flies back down there, and nobody realizes. It's like, oh, right, <laughs> that was a really good speech. Yeah, I can't believe how good that speech was. Right, and and that's a that's a trope too that I was. It is. It's hard to it's hard to explain because that that's something that usually gets me mad in comedies. Whenever someone's like, that was incredible, you know, speaking really slowly to build up one thing and then they completely turn it around. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I accepted it in this instance and I guess it's because it was so, it was a lot quicker. It wasn't as slow, which is really hard for me to describe. And it can kind of make me look like a hypocrite too, because I think it's a matter of like 0.5 seconds with how long rabbit pauses. But I think it works in this instance and it doesn't work in a lot of other instances. Yeah, I feel you. It's something that's really hard for me to explain, but that's the best I can explain it. Mm-hmm. I guess it's kind of the... Okay, I guess kind of all those things put together kind of sums up the 2011 one pretty well. It's got a lot of tropes, and it does some of them well. Right. So, you know. And the, the ones that it doesn't do well, they're... It's, it's blaringly obvious, unfortunately. Yeah, like them, like having musical numbers. Right. It's not something that can be swept under the rug as just a cliche that you won't think about unless you're thinking about it. They're things that you can see from face value. Like, oh well, okay, that's a very movie thing of you to do, mm-hmm. which at at times can be unfair of a movie. But when you're comparing something as great as the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh to this, it 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 just makes it more obvious and. Maybe that's unfair, maybe it's not. I think it's good in its own right, but like you said earlier, I think it's obvious which which of the two we prefer, and that's the very nature of comparing film to one mm-hmm. another, is that some things are going to stand out and others aren't. Yeah, I think so. So, uh, is, is, that, is that good consensus? Do we have that? Yeah, I'd, I'd say so, you know. The new one is, you know, full of its own little tropes, and it does them cleverly, but it's just, it can't. It can't be just the simplicity and joy that is the original. It's just, it's such a staple, you know, like you said, throughout so many people's lives that it's hard to, it's hard to fault it. Mm-hmm. That's true. I, yeah, it's, it, it really is a staple, and mm-hmm. and that is good enough in and of its own. Just because if something can if something can be held as a staple outside of nostal outside of nostalgic value, like people can watch that today, kids can watch that today who have never seen it before, and they can enjoy it just as much. I'm sure it's definitely easier easier to watch for a kid to watch an old cartoon and appreciate it compared to like a black and white movie. Mm-hmm. So it definitely it it has that going for it. 
but yeah. just as a just as a film itself too if you're if you're not looking at the company that produced it and the character that it has the entire lore and franchise that it has spawned it's just a good film too yeah i i gotta agree it's 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 a hard thing to beat when it's just a when it's just a good film overall and then and then the new one just kind of tries to recapture a lot of limelights it just can't quite live up to right um you know to to sort of end this off we usually end by trying to pick our favorite shots or favorite scenes of the movie um I can't really think of any in particular. We already talked about good visuals or good animatics, but uh, yeah. I, I kind of want to know, what was your favorite joke or bit of jokey dialogue from the original? Because we, we both covered a lot of humorous lines from the 2011 version, but we didn't do a lot of the 1977 version. So what's your favorite joke? Uh, I think I had to do... I think it was um, during the flood where ER was floating down the river and he saw... A house for owl and he's like well that one looks nice nice size looks pretty sturdy and then it sinks underwater it's like a little wet though <laughs> that <laughs> is like, good That's I, very I do good. i do love that one it's a it's just a nice little like little chuckle one it's like <laughs> right where it's like he go like there's this whole entire little house that's just beautiful but just kind of sinks away and of course eeyore of all people in the middle of this giant flood is still dutifully going about finding a house. Right. And every he just so happens to be floating by this one where he's like, well, he gives a genuine assessment of it, regardless of the current situation he's in. <laughs> everyone else has given up, but he's still persevering. Yeah, everyone else is like, oh, my God, it's flooding. And he was just like, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty much just anything with Eeyore. And I'm just like, yeah, OK, I'm a fan. That's true. So, yeah. You got one? Um actually yeah i didn't i hadn't really thought about it but there is there is one that i i did laugh usually i can tell what my favorite line is if i have to pause it which i've discussed before yeah. if i have to pause it because i'm laughing and not paying attention and that's when uh Pooh and piglet are in owl's house during the very windy day and it's blowing mm. everything around the wind blows so hard that it topples the entire house and it crumbles and they just climb from the ashes and owl looks at Pooh and he goes did you do that and Pooh's, and Pooh's yeah. like, I don't think so. <laughs> one, yeah, just the gall one. of assuming that Pooh destroyed his entire house, but then Pooh being like, he doesn't remember if he did it or not. I'm going to try to keep continue a trend going that I started in the last one and give a recommendation of a movie, you know, in replacement of the one we found to be the lesser movie this week. Good and idea. I'm, I'm glad you're continuing with this with this idea. Yeah. And, you know, this one's a kind of an obvious one. It's, you know, a, the sequel to, like, the technical sequel to the 77 version, Christopher Robin. It's, honestly, if you get a chance, go see it. It's great. It really does continue on with a bit more of the original tone. It's not quite as frantic in a way as the newer one. Like, this, it definitely does have frantic moments, but it's more just kind of out of excitement. And it's just the acting stellar all around. And it's just an interesting little romp. It's kind of a little fun, little expansion on the original idea. So I I love it a lot. Ewan McGregor's great in it. Obviously, you know, Jim Cummings is hard to beat with his Tigger and Boo. So Right. Yeah, that is a big high recommendation from me. I agree with that. But um 
You want to give it a rundown on some of the social stuff? Oh, sure. Um, okay, so I was debating whether to bring this up or not, but I might as well. Uh, we recently migrated the podcast from SoundCloud to Anchor, so we are now on Anchor.fm. That's where you can... Uh, that's where you can primarily listen to us if you want to use a web-based or app-based platform because they do have an app that is very easy to use. Uh, it's actually easy for me to manage as well because I can post episodes using the app and I can track statistics and everything. It's it, it's good for users and for, I guess, uh, content providers. So mm-hmm. uh, that is anchor.fm, and that's where we're located. Uh, you can still find us on various... Uh, podcast sharing platforms, iTunes, uh, Google Play. We should be on Stitcher. I have to recheck that. Um, Podomatic, places like that. And we're constantly adding new ones. Uh, The website, which was alluded to last podcast, is actually live currently at Um, theyremadeit.com. There are some design things I want to tweak with it, but everything is actually working and it's put together... uh, I have links, links everywhere, links out the ass on that website. You can click on click on any word, you get a link to something. Yeah. Not really. That'd be terrible web design. <laughs> um, and it's a random Wikipedia articles. <laughs> yeah, they they all link back to Wikipedia articles of varying degree. Most of them to Alf. Because I just love Alf. <laughs> but um. Uh. And on Twitter, I'm still thinking of ways to use that outside of posting when new episodes are live. But if you still want to know what it is, it's uh, at it remade on Twitter. It still exists uh, there. And just leave us a review. Leave us a comment. Send us an email at theyremadeit at gmail.com. There's plenty of ways to contact us, find our content. Uh, as always, it's as always, it helps out a lot, even if it's just enable to be like, here's what you're doing horribly, horribly wrong. Oh, yes. Leave us anything positive. I, th- I think on the website, on the contact us page, I, I explicitly state, uh, send us hate mail. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll accept anything and I'll read it. I don't mind. Yeah. Makes our days brighter. Right. Go ahead. As always, I'm your host, Stuart. And I'm your host, Jacob. And this has been They Remade It. Have a good night. Supper. The river sopped up poo.